Hey love and welcome to the Emily Cooper Show. I call myself an emotional freedom coach because my job is to take you from feeling like life is hard and upsetting to feeling entirely in love with your life, the people in it, the job you're in and the experiences you're having. Because to me, life gets to be the biggest vibe when we show up for ourselves, we heal our shit and we commit to creating a life that feels true. Thank you for being here, my friend. Let's get into the episode. Okay. Let's just pretend that I have not ghosted my own podcast for months. <laughs> uh, yeah. So obviously, in the last episode, I spoke about my engagement and the whole story behind that. And I kind of mentioned that I was going to be doing the podcast ad hoc when I could. Um, and honestly, when the desire kind of flowed through me, as corny as that sounds, um, podcasting is not for the faint-hearted. I love recording an episode because I can sit down. I feel like words flow through me so easily in this sort of a setting but it's the editing, it's the show notes, it's the advertising, the marketing. Ah, yeah. Anyway, um, it has been my intention, however, and I made a promise to my newsletter list, which by the way, if you do want to receive my newsletters, I will put the link in my, in the show notes. Um, it was my promise to my newsletter list that the podcast will return because I know a lot of you love this podcast and I think to be very honest and very vulnerable I always felt a measure of shame towards the podcast because it was not a planned thing I did not sit down and create this launch strategy I spent about 30 seconds coming up with a name as you can probably <laughs> see um I, it was just very rushed and it was intentionally rushed because for those of you that don't know the, the story behind the podcast's creation, I was speaking on Clubhouse and I asked my community on Instagram, so that's probably you, if I should turn the Clubhouse conversations into podcasts instead. Essentially, I was asking you know, who prefers what platform and it was a resounding bias towards podcasting. So within, I think, a day or two days, I had my first episode live and when I suppose I fell into a bit of a comparison trap with looking at other people's podcasts that are super professionally done and professionally edited and they have a whole fucking room dedicated to podcasting right I don't I use my office um and I think I just yeah fell into a bit of comparisonitis and kind of felt a degree of shame towards the podcast um just because I felt like it wasn't the most professional thing in the world However, that being said, I have received a lot of feedback from you guys saying that you really love 
listening to me and I do feel like longer form content is definitely where my strength lies that is why my newsletter my publication podcasting anytime I do a live which isn't often because it's not my favorite means of creating content I get very distracted with myself right in front of me like looking back at me (laughs) um but any sort of longer form content I feel that I convey my point a lot better than short form content which again is quite ironic because I am a lawyer I am trained in making things really concise but apparently not concise enough for Instagram so seeing as I promised the newsletter list that it would be coming back I have the next three episodes mapped out so we have today's episode which is obviously on what to do when you hate your job there are going to be a few caveats in this one in case any of my former colleagues or employers happen to listen to this and then we've got some other amazing episodes coming uh, a lot on relationships connection to self what to do when you feel that you're in a bit of a rut etc etc so I have mapped those out to keep myself accountable which is amazing and we will go from there and we will try it to be more consistent and on top of things okay getting into the topic of today and this isn't a topic that I just kind of like pulled out of the top of my head it is a conversation that I have with a lot of people what to do when you hate your job to give you a bit of context I'm not just pulling things out of nowhere here I do actually have experience in this topic because this is something that I have done myself it's something I've gone through myself right and I really think that the question has to be asked right at the beginning if you are feeling unsatisfied or dissatisfied would be correct if you're feeling dissatisfied in your job in your career there needs to be a question that you ask yourself and the question is is it the career as in the profession right doctor lawyer nutritionist whatever teacher whatever career job title you have given yourself is it that that is concerning you that 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 does not light you up or is it the environment of the particular job that you are working in because my advice and my thinking is going to be very different based off of your answer to that right obviously you are not sitting in front of me this could definitely be something that we discuss on a uh, coaching call if you would like that but just ask yourself that question and while you're asking yourself that question while you're kind of mulling it over I will give you context into my own background uh, my own experience with this topic now I am a lawyer I have a law degree I studied straight off to high school right so I was how old was I I was turning 19 I was 18 turning 19 when I started studying my law degree 
And let me tell you that there was not a single second that I did not love my law degree. I absolutely thrived at university, especially in the last two years. Anybody that has an LLB will know that the last two years are the most brutal. They are the hardest. I absolutely loved third year and final year, right? However, I was never one of those law students that knew exactly what they wanted to do after university. I did not enjoy the thought of becoming an attorney. The reason for this is that, well, many reasons for this, but I really wanted to feel like I was using my law degree to make a difference. And in my personal understanding of what attorneys do, in my country at least, is that it's a lot of contract work, it's a lot of property law, it's a lot of um, wills and estates. It's, it's very much in the civil law sector, what we call civil law which is just a lot of corporate stuff, basically, okay? You could get into the family law side of things, but again, then you're dealing with, like, divorce and custody and that sort of stuff. I wanted to be in the branch of law that, in my opinion, really makes a difference, which is in public law. Um, it's in your prosecution, your criminal law side of things, or even... Um, your kind of international law, although that's up for debate whether international law actually makes a difference or not. Um, human rights law, anything like that, right? The law that makes a difference. Why? Because since I was a very young child, I knew that I wanted to help people as a career. I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do as a child, that is, but I knew that I wanted to help people. That was without a doubt just ingrained in me since I came out the womb <laughs> I knew that I wanted to help so I was just really confused um, because at my university at least I don't know if this is a universal thing or if it's just my university but they really push the corporate law side of things there are not many there's not much support for people that are thinking of going into another branch of law. There's not many like workshops or talks or career days for people that don't want to be Harvey Specter, right? So I had no idea what I wanted to do. And eventually in final year, I think my friend came to me and said, hey, the NPA is hiring do you want to apply with me? Now, the MPA, I've never actually mentioned this anywhere on my Instagram, but the MPA is the National Prosecuting Authority um, of South Africa. Essentially, they, if you are not a lawyer or you are not um, accustomed to legal terms, the NPA employ prosecutors and prosecutors are the lawyers that act on behalf of the state to put people in jail basically um they are the lawyers that if you get arrested they are the ones that are going to be hounding you in court right so me 
once again thinking that I wanted to help people I was like yes this is what I want to be doing working for the state working as a civil servant um helping victims of crime right this is exactly what I want to do and I applied and I went through exams and oral exams and all sorts of like interviews and stuff like that and eventually I did get employed as what they call an aspirant prosecutor which is essentially a one year long training program but it's very practical based so also in South Africa we were still very much kind of in the pandemic so as a result we were quite short-staffed and there were limits on how many people could be in the building in the court building at one time so I think originally this program had a lot more teaching, whereas in my year, it was very like sink or swim. I mean, I absolutely loved my mentor and I'm not just saying that because there's a chance she'll be listening to this. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved my mentor and she assisted so much, but there were, it was just how things were. There were days where, you know, I joined the um institution in February and by April because I remember it was on my birthday by April I was leading a court all by myself with absolutely no help right so even though it was a training program it was very much like in the deep end learn as you go anyway due to a variety of reasons that I really don't feel the need to kind of get into I did not feel like I was ultimately helping people and to be honest a lot of that the overwhelming majority of that had nothing to do with the institution itself because I know any South Africans listening to this um there's this immediate kind of negative attitude towards government and governance and the judiciary in this country and I will say that whilst that argument can definitely be made again I'm not going to make it right now a lot a large part of why I felt like I wasn't helping people was actually because of the people themselves the so-called victims um it was just not a great environment to work in. It was incredibly negative, but again, not negative because I was working in the criminal field. Negative because you just felt like you were constantly fighting this uphill battle and the battle was largely, once again, against the public. Um, and specifically what I'm referring to here is people laying charges um especially women laying charges especially of domestic abuse and then getting all the way to trial when we've kind of poured all of these resources and time and energy into them and then on the day um withdrawing their case because they love the man and they're gonna live happily ever after and yeah <laughs> Now, yes, before anybody jumps down my throat, I fully understand that that is a real psychological trauma that is going on in those women's minds. But fundamentally, I got into prosecution to help people. 
And from that position, I was not able to help. If anything, I was getting so annoyed at the victims of these crimes because all I wanted to, them to do was to proceed with their case so that we could get them justice, whatever justice means. I'm still trying to work that out myself, to be honest. And they would pull their case at the last minute and I, it would just frustrate me. I would not... It's not that I couldn't see what was going on underneath, but it frustrated me that I couldn't assist and that my purpose essentially wasn't being fulfilled. So I was just dissatisfied. I was really dissatisfied and really despondent as well. You know, there were nights where I wouldn't go to bed because I was working so hard on a case only for the case to fall through the next day. And then you start thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm just not going to try then because chances are this isn't actually going to run anyway. And obviously, as soon as I started developing that attitude, I knew that I wasn't the civil servant that the community really needed me to be anyway. So I was highly dissatisfied. And at the same time, I had been in this work for six years now actually no maybe more like four years in the reprogramming the subconscious mind nlp self-development space i had just been in it from the perspective of the client right i had been working on myself i had been upgrading my own mindset i had been healing my own wounds um around the time of my entrance exam literally like a week before my entrance exam for the NPA um, I went through that horrific breakup that absolutely shattered me I've spoken about that in other episodes um, so there was a lot of internal work going on in the background in fact there were a lot of days that I had off in the year that I worked as a prosecutor because we would rotate so we'd have one day on, one day off due to the pandemic. And I would spend a lot of those off days just completely immersing myself in self-development and literally dreaming of this other life for myself where I could switch roles and I could become the coach and I could lead clients through a similar or the same process, right? Of not necessarily of quitting their job, although I have done that with clients but um just this process of healing and becoming and unbecoming which i think a lot of my work is more unbecoming than becoming right shedding all of those layers of a person that you had to become in order to survive in order to become who you really are so for me Coming back to the question that I asked you originally, it was an issue with the career because I did not want to be in the corporate side of things because I just didn't feel like it was going to be fulfilling my purpose and my purpose is to help people. And then I tried out the criminal public servant side of things and that also just didn't fill my purpose as I thought it would right because of various various things 
I could do an episode on that if anyone is interested. But so for me, it wasn't a case of, okay, well, change your environment, which to be honest, would have been a hell of a lot easier because it's very easy to change your environment. It is not so easy to change your entire career. But I could not escape the fact that I longed for this job. And I mentioned this in a reel that I made the other day. I did not long for this job that I have now. Sorry, a job, it's a career, a profession. Um, I longed for this because I wanted so badly to help people. I have been through a great deal of trauma in my life and all I wanted was to be a mentor, to be a guide to other women, to help them process whatever their trauma is, right? And you can ask any one of my clients, I can resonate with just about anything that they tell me that they're going through because I've been through it or a variation of it myself. And that's why I had this absolute obsession and this craving and I would sit up at night just dreaming about getting to do this. It wasn't because I had greater earning potential. It wasn't so that I could work from home and, I don't know, make a coffee every time I wanted or, you know, work from Europe. Those are all perks. 100% those are perks. I will not deny that. But the reason for me being here is to help. And unfortunately, I see a lot of coaches in the industry at the moment that I doubt or I question their reason for being in the industry. I think that coaching, because of the fact that it's very accessible, it's unregulated, I think that a lot of people see it as their salvation. I want time freedom. I want location freedom. I want financial freedom. So I'm just going to become a coach. And in my opinion, you will be a really shit coach if that is your motivation for doing it. Because as a coach, you are highly responsible to your clients. You are responsible not for their internal state or their emotional needs because you're not responsible for anybody's internal state or emotional needs, but you have the job of not triggering them further, not creating deeper wounds. And that is a line that you have to walk very carefully. I do a lot of deep trauma work with my clients and if I push it too far or if I'm not concentrating, if I don't pick up on their signals, it could be really disastrous. And that's a big responsibility to bear. So if you are in this game for the purpose of making money or traveling the world, then there are a million other ways to make money that don't include toying with people's lives and people's trauma. But anyway, that's just a rant on that. Going back to what I was originally saying, for me, it was not the environment. It was the career. I wanted to help and I did not feel like I could do it in law. So I literally threw 
four years of my law degree and so much money down the toilet. Not really, because I still use a lot of my skills today um, that I developed throughout my law degree and actually in the prosecutor training. But essentially, I don't need a law degree, right? I could have done this straight out of school. But divine timing is everything. I truly believe that. And I got my NLP certification instead. And then recently, as in January, I got my master's in NLP certification. So for me, it was unquestionable. I had to change my career. For you, it might be something else. I have just recently worked with a client where she enjoyed the position that she held, but the environment was completely wrong. The people were not working for her and the work that she was doing was not fulfilling. Even though the position worked, it was the actual work that was not fulfilling her. And we took her through a technique and she changed jobs and she's now incredibly fulfilled and loving her work and loving the people that she gets to work with, right? So you really need to decide, am I unfulfilled because of my environment or because of my actual career? But either way, that begs the question, what do I do if I hate my job? So I'm going to break this up firstly, right? If you fall into the category of, I am not enjoying my job because of my environment. Cool. Very simple question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I know this sounds like tough love. Trust me, after six years of being in this game and this industry, um, and I have a partner who's also certified NLP, when he places me at cause, in other words, I'm trying to complain about something, and he turns around and says, okay, what are you going to do about it? To this day, it triggers me because it's so comfortable to complain. It is so easy to complain, right? What is not easy is actually taking the steps to change it. And I recently went through a very similar thing or a very similar experience uh, with a work-related matter. And I genuinely spent weeks complaining about this particular situation and letting it get me down. And then eventually Matt put me in my place, put me at cause and said to me, right, you've complained. I've listened to you. You're justified. But what are you going to do about it? And if you want to learn more about that situation, then my publication, Cozy Coffee Conversations, is where you need to be. The link will be in the show notes. But there is always something that you can do. And I think that the reason why people get defensive about this when people put them at cause, not necessarily only about their job or their career, but just life in general, right? When we're complaining and then someone puts us at cause, someone says to us, okay, well, what are you going to do to fix it or to solve it? The reason we get defensive is because we, in our minds, are thinking that we need to find a quick solution, a quick fix. 
and then we turn around and say, I can't fix this. It's impossible to fix this. There is no solution. And what we mean is there is no instant solution because that's what we want. We want instant gratification. We want instant solutions, right? And that's simply often not the case. But this experience that I just went through um, that I needed to fix and I needed to take charge of it was not instantaneous. It was a matter of putting in boundaries and changing my schedule a little bit and changing the way I was doing things, changing the way I was communicating. So it was not just a night and day, oh, my problem is gone. And I think that is so often why we can get defensive in this sort of a scenario because when someone asks us, what are you going to do? we think that we need to give a one-step answer as to what we're going to do, right? When in actual fact, it could be a very long process of what are you going to do. It could be a 20-step process in order to fix this scenario, okay? If it is the environment that is affecting you, what can you do to change up your environment? Now, this could go along a couple of different routes. When I was still in prosecution and I was playing with the idea of leaving to become certified, but I did not know yet if I was going to be able to do it um, financially and for a bunch of other reasons contractually, I set about making sure that my work day was as good as it possibly could be, right? So I made sure that my desk was really nice, even though I was in this brown, dull government office, I made sure my desk was nice. I made sure that every single day I was putting in a lot of effort into my appearance. That doesn't mean taking three hours to get dressed right I was getting to work at seven in the morning seven thirty, so I was not getting up at four to get ready for work but just making sure that I looked really nice so that I felt good about myself every single morning for a whole year I would get a coffee my favorite coffee on the way to work right every single morning for a year so yes that is a ridiculous amount of money spent on coffee but that one coffee set up my day for success where I was just so grateful for that small pleasure right I made sure to surround myself with the people at work that I loved and I got on really well with so that was only about three people <laughs> and again if any of my previous colleagues ever listen to this they're gonna laugh because it was just known that like I didn't go to team birthdays I didn't attend after hours events I did not have time to spend more time with these people but I had hand-picked <laughs> like three people that I really got on with and I made sure to spend my time with them so that they also kept me happy and I was able to have a laugh with them, right? 
I made sure that I was hyper efficient, incredibly efficient. Why did I do that? So that I could leave as soon as my workday was done. So again, I was somewhat assisted by the pandemic here because they wanted people to get out of the building as soon as they were finished with work. But what that meant was that I was being so crazy efficient that on most days I was leaving at 1 p.m. when my workday only obviously finished at 5. I was leaving work at 1 p.m. because I was getting to work really early. I was making sure that I had systems in place where I could get through the pre-work before I went to court because I was in court every single day. Um, well, every single day that I was at work. I made sure that my pre-court work was done so that I literally did not have to do anything once court was finished. I made sure to structure my court in a way that things flowed really quickly. And then as soon as the magistrate, who is the judge, as soon as the magistrate left to that courtroom, I was out of there. So I had my afternoons, essentially, to myself, where I could exercise and work on content creation because I had my Instagram page already. I had created it, I think, in May of that year or April of that year when I was prosecuting. So I could work on content creation. I was going live with other people in the industry. I was creating uh, a free ebook that I don't actually advertise anymore, but it is there if anybody wants it on um, inner child healing. I was creating that and I had my afternoon to myself. So what this should hopefully illustrate to you is that there are ways and means to make your workday better for yourself and crucial is to be thinking longer term as well. So what we want to be doing is saying, how can we change this environment in the short term, i.e. while you still have to be going to this job that is not suiting you, and in the long term. So for you, maybe just doing those small changes is going to assist you. Chances are, however, that you do need to think about a more longer term solution. So that could look like changing jobs, right, to a different employer same job. It could also look like having some tough conversations with your employer because in a lot of the conversations that I've had with people who are suffering in their jobs, the reason they're suffering or one of the big reasons that they're suffering is lack of boundaries. This is especially rife in the legal profession but and actually any sort of minor role in a quote-unquote high status profession. If you think of the junior doctor strikes that are currently happening in the UK, I know that people doing their, what is that thing called? The like training you have to do to become an accountant or a chartered accountant there is a lot of abuse of power and there are a lot of boundaries that are just absolutely neglected. So work hours are no longer a thing. Pay is often 
way too low. There are often just really toxic, ugly work environments. People are spoken to really terribly. And that's just the norm. Um, And it might require you to have a tough conversation with your employer. Now, I know what some of the responses to this suggestion could be, and it could be along the lines of, that's just how it is. I'm dispensable. So if I complain, then they're just going to replace me and I can't afford to lose my salary. By the way, (laughs) a monthly salary is about the most addictive thing that you can ever come across. Anyway, that aside, I do understand you. I do feel you. I know that in a lot of corporate law firms, one in particular, one South African one in particular that I'm thinking of, they are notorious for treating their candidate attorneys terribly. And yet they get away with it because these candidate attorneys are relying on them, not only for income, but also just to advance their career, right? So it is super unfortunate. I do understand. But then we need to pivot to part B of the question, which is, what can I do if changing my environment is not optional? It's not available, right? And I think when we are in positions that are, again, more, what's the word I even want to say here? Kind of more classic or more like your kind of standard jobs, like your doctors, lawyers, um, accountants, that sort of field, we can get very locked into a box of there is only one way to do this. There is no other option, right? And I remember as I was getting ready to leave law, one of my friends said to me, oh, well, I've got this friend who works for an English law firm, but she works remotely. So she works on British time and England is only ever maximum two hours behind us. So it's not a big deal. She works on British time. She earns pounds. She lives in South Africa or anywhere in the world that she wants to. And she does everything via consultancy. And I was very much already in my mind, I'd left law. So I didn't kind of pursue this option further but it blew my mind that things like that existed because when you are in this sort of job that has a distinct track you you know how to get from a to b you think that a to b is the only route and there aren't especially after the pandemic especially with the amount of technology that is available to us at the moment especially after they worked out that people are actually more productive when they work from home in many scenarios. The workplace is changing, right? So if it is not a case of being able to change your company's ethics and your company's policies, cool. It's not the company for you. Look elsewhere. If you are really passionate about your field, look elsewhere. Look for other opportunities. Even if that means that you have to stick it out in this particular job for another year or two years in order to qualify to the next step, and then you can diversify your job applications, 
that then that is what it is. And then in the interim, you make sure that you are making the absolute best out of every day like I did, um, as I explained to you, right? So that is kind of my advice on what to do if you're still passionate about the field that you're in. What about for those of us where, like me, we realize that the field is actually not the field that we want to be in? And the question then becomes not what can I do? That question does come later, however. Not what can I do, but who am I? Who am I? And the reason I say this is because there is so much pressure on people to find out what their purpose is in life. And it astounds me that there is this amount of pressure on people to answer this question. What is my purpose in life, right? Because how are you ever supposed to know at 18 or even at 16 when you start choosing subjects what you are destined to do for the rest of your life? That is an absolutely ridiculous question. It's, an, it's a ridiculous assumption that you're going to be in the same thing for the rest of your life. And it puts so much pressure on people. So instead, I like to ask, who am I? And this doesn't have to be who am I for the rest of my life. It's just who am I right now? And when I started asking myself that question six years ago, whenever it was, I was a lot greater than my law degree. But it was the first time that I had asked myself that question. So up until that point, if you'd said to me, can you describe who Emily Cooper is? The first thing that would have come out of my mouth is, I'm a law student. Because my identity was law. Obviously, right? In my final year, I was getting to the library at 9am and I was leaving at 3am every single day. Sometimes we slept in the library. So it was entirely, wholly who I was, okay? But when I started asking myself that question, I was like, wow, I am actually so much bigger than this, right? There is so much more to me than my law degree, and later on, there was so much more to me than my career in law. And who am I in this moment? What are my interests? What is the thing that I can spend every single waking hour doing? What is the thing that I can speak to somebody about without even having to think about what I'm saying, right? I don't even have to question or consider the words that are coming out of my head because it's so natural it's so natural for me to just like speak about this because I'm so passionate or maybe it's not necessarily an academic topic like a lot of self-development is highly academic right especially in NLP when we're working with scientific principles and concepts and we're looking at the subconscious mind maybe your passion the thing that you could so easily do without even thinking is baking or cooking or art writing okay anything that just makes you feel alive who am i what do i enjoy and how can i make money from this thing 
oh, and there's instant resistance. There's instant anxiety because our brain goes, you can't make money from it. That's unsustainable. Every artist you know is poor. Every entrepreneur you know is struggling. It's so much easier to stay where you are right now because you're safe. You are safe. And that's fine. If you want to be safe for the rest of your life, then be my guest. But to me, safety is akin to shackles in many instances. Obviously, there are many, many, many instances in my life where safety is the most profoundly beautiful experience, such as in my relationship. But safety in terms of a comfort zone is shackles. It is bondage. It is chains. And I would rather bet everything and lose than never even try. Because nothing hurts me more than to sit on my own potential. It literally grates me. Funny story, but when I was in high school, my mom wanted me to get a job. She suggested, many people suggested becoming a waitress at a restaurant, right? Now, to international listeners, I know that serving at restaurants can pay really highly and it's like quite a normal, like upstanding job um, in many countries overseas. In South Africa, it is very different. Waitresses and waitrons get paid like shit and it's not... South Africa has a strong bias towards degrees. So there's this, South Africa is still quite behind in its thinking where you need a degree to be successful. That is the thought process. And if you don't have a degree, then you're either doing quote unquote, like lower jobs, like your waitressing or your like hands-on work like mechanics or plumbers that sort of thing or you're a creative you're an artist and everyone thinks that you're going to be 40 and still living at home because you don't have a degree (laughs) so the thinking is really backward and as such there is unfortunately this hierarchy when it comes to jobs and compounded with the fact that you just don't earn enough as a waitron to live, in my opinion. So when the idea of becoming a waitron was suggested to me, there was no freaking way I was becoming a waitress. There was no way. And it's not because I think I'm better than anybody else. Absolutely not. It's because I valued my time too much. Not too much as in a negative thing. I valued my time too much to be a waitress. At the one restaurant that was suggested, you would earn 27 rand an hour. So just for context to my, for my Americans, I would be earning one and a half dollars an hour for grueling work. And I just turned to my mom and I said, I'm sorry, that is I'm not going to do that. There is no freaking way on earth that I am going to subject myself to that sort of work for such little pay. I am worth more than that. And yes, it is hella privileged for me to say that because some people don't have a choice. And 
I fully recognize my privilege in saying that. But what I'm trying to convey here is that I have always had this intrinsic drive, this intrinsic, I suppose, belief, self-belief that my time is worth money. I know what I have to provide to the world. I know what I have to give to the world. I know what my time is worth. And it is not worth one and a half dollars, even back when I was 16. Not a chance, right? So as such, I've always been of the opinion that it is so much better to throw myself into discomfort and reap the possible rewards, but also risk the possible failure than remain in quote unquote safety which for a lot of people is comfortable for me it just happens to not be comfortable there is no comfort in doing something that I hate but ultimately I get paid at the end of every month there's no comfort in that at all so coming back to the question who am I who am I what do I love? What am I passionate about? How can I make money? And that does not mean that you have to become an entrepreneur. It does not mean you have to start your own business. It does not mean that you have to have a side hustle. All it means is that you have to step out of the rigidity of your current thinking. Again, I say this all, all the time, but there are a million ways to make money. So if it is in baking, right? Yes, you could start your own business and it could obviously be selling baked goods, but it could also be in the kind of e-commerce importing like utensils for baking. Maybe you want to start a shop, an actual brick and mortar shop that sells baking equipment again or you could take that online or you could run courses on how to I don't know ice cakes or you could go to culinary school baking school whatever which again I know is an expense get some sort of certification and go work in a bakery you could go to your local bakery and see if there is work available that doesn't require a certification. You could collaborate with esteemed chefs and, I don't know, bakers. I don't know what you'd collaborate on because I have no idea about anything to do with the baking industry other than the fact that my one of my best friends was in it for a long time. But that's about it. So the examples I'm giving currently are probably really terrible. But my point is that there are ways that you have not thought of. And your only job is to be open to different avenues within that thing that absolutely lights you up inside. And chase that feeling. Chase that feeling of this feels so good. Because the more you chase that feeling the more motivated you're going to become to put in the work to get there. Because it's going to take work, unfortunately. Good things take work. That's just how it works. <laughs> um, you know, I've been out of law now for two years, I think. And I'm still not 
where I ultimately want to be. I'm still chasing that feeling. There are still contracts that I have on the side that I want to be able to let go of. They're all contracts within the coaching space, but I don't want to be contracted to anybody else to earn money. I want to be completely self-sufficient, right? So I am not even where I ultimately want to be yet. After two years of freaking hard work. So it's going to take time. You're going to have to be brave. You're more than likely going to run out of money. (laughs) Trust me. Your faith in yourself and your self-belief is going to be questioned more times than you can possibly count. But that is where the success lies. Successful people actually have been found to believe in themselves enough, but to also have this absolutely intense fear of failure. So they're constantly riding this line between self-belief and this looming fear of failure that keeps them going. Those are two of the most common traits of successful people. It will take time. It'll take a lot of bravery. It'll take multiple pep talks. But it is available to you if you want it. And if you're willing to go after it. All right, my friends, that is all that I have for you today. I hope that you have enjoyed hearing my voice in your ears again. I really hope you have. The next episode will be out in two weeks. Oh, yes, that's what I should say. I am committing to two episodes a month. So obviously every two weeks, not this once a week thing anymore. Just for now, just because it's a little bit too much to have on my plate. So every two weeks. And I have the next few episodes lined up already, which I am super, super excited about. And let me know if you have any topics that you would like me to discuss, any people that you would like to see on the podcast. Don't aim too high here. Don't tell me you want Jay Shetty on my podcast, please, because that's not going to happen. But (laughs) anybody that you'd like to um, have on the podcast, If you would like to jump into mentorship with me, my application is linked in the show notes Um, or you can DM me and we can chat. There is always zero obligation. I'm never going to harass you into coaching (laughs) uh, with me. Don't worry about that. If you want to read my writing, my thoughts on the world, anything like that, then my publication is for you, Cozy Coffee Conversations. It is five dollars a month you can cancel any time and lastly is my free newsletter as I mentioned in the beginning you are welcome to jump into that if you would like but the juice really is in the publication the newsletter is more just kind of general updates that sort of stuff but if you are wanting my actual thoughts beliefs opinions sticky situations controversial anything (laughs) It's in the publication. All right. I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. I'm sending you so much love and I will chat to you in the next episode.